medical department, only two go to the bench, and we are more than a dozen. We don't train, we only recover. That's a, that's a situation. Preparation, hard work, confidence in overcoming those difficult moments. Today we're still outside Liverpool and we are going to the first part of the medical test. Welcome to this Football Medicine and Performance podcast. I am El Chazai, a medical student in London and your host for today's episode. Today I am delighted to be joined by Anna West. Anna West is a sleep recovery and well-being specialist working with Brentford FC and founder of Sleep to Perform, a high-performance consultancy who specialise in sleep and recovery and work with leading sports teams and businesses. Thank you for joining us today, Anna. Thank you very much for the invitation and for that nice introduction. Good to have you on board. So today we're going to discuss how to support elite footballers with their sleep and recovery. I'm sure this will be of great interest to our listeners and that we're going to be able to learn a lot from you. Well, let's hope that I will be able to deliver some magical words, but just remember that when it comes to sleep, there's no general recipe on how you can do it best. So tell us a little bit about your career to date. What got you interested in sleep recovery and well-being in elite athletes? So I have a background in sports science um, and I'm also a nurse and that in itself is a pretty strange combination. Um, I was very lucky. So straight out of university, I was, um, I was lucky um, to get a job in a medical technical company that was specialized in sleep and used the first many years of my career path to actually work in this company specialized in sleep heavily involved in sleep um, research projects across Europe um, and in the US. Um, and then back in 2015, um, some changes were um, coming up in this company. And I knew that um, the point that I loved to work with was the consultancy part. Um, and I had at that time already done quite a lot of projects in elite sports in relations to sleep. So I decided to start on my own and have worked with sleep in elite sports settings ever since. That's really interesting. So why is sleep important for optimal athletic performance? And also how does it compare to other methods that elite athletes might use to help their recovery? I mean, to be fair, without putting sleep on a pedestal, right? Sleep is by far the most important groundstone in athletic performance because it's the precondition of creating success in basically any other domain surrounding the athlete. Um, if you don't sleep well or if the quality of the sleep that you are getting is not high, it will have impact on your nutritional status. It will have impact on your performance ability. It can be measured on various factors like sprinting time, decision making and so forth. But it also has a high impact on the emotional, psychological side, your motivation, your stability when it comes to emotions um, and so forth, your ability to step on the brake when you have to, but also to hold yourself back when, when you have to. So sleep is a huge impactor, but quite often we don't regard sleep as the precondition. We regard sleep as something that we just do a little bit of a no-brainer. We all know that sleep is needed. But very often athletes don't really see it as an investment area. Um, and a lot of things would change if they actually did. 
So I know she used the word precondition there. So I think I get what you mean, but do you mind just clarifying exactly what you mean by that? So the word precondition, from my point of view, is meant as um, sleep being needed. You need to have sleep. You need to have a certain amount of hours and you need to have a certain amount of quality in your sleep in order for your physiology to work. Hence why sleep becomes this precondition. Um, without going into massive details about the physiology of sleep, but there are a lot of different physiological aspects which are undertaken during the sleep. A good example would be that is where you balance uh, your hunger hormones. So if you're not sleeping well, you will overproduce the hormone that makes you hungry. You will underproduce the hormone that makes you feel full. So if you're doing a nutritional intervention, sleep will be a precondition in order for that nutritional intervention to be successful. Because if you're not sleeping, you will have a misbalance in your hormones. Mm -hmm. So it really sounds like you're saying that sleep is an absolute cornerstone of uh, a lot of aspects of optimal athletic performance, which is why it's so important. I completely agree. It, it definitely is. But the approach to sleep and the understanding of sleep um, was maybe in the past not regarded exactly like this. You also have the opposite view, right? The, the warrior who can just crack on without having as many hours of sleep as his neighbor and so forth. But what we've seen over time, also from, a, from an illness a statistical perspective, is that, that over time, sleep has become um, a cornerstone in a lot of health diseases as well. So we know that Poor sleep is linked to an increased risk of heart diseases, development of cancer, and so forth. So it's not only related to athletic performance, but it's related to overall health. What about sleep issues in athletes? Are they common? And if so, why? I see quite a lot of athletes with problems sleep. And what, what you see less among athletes is, is sleep diagnostics that needs treatment, right? So you will see... Um, in certain sports, um, athletes with sleep apnea. But it's very often related to the sports where the athletes would have a big neck size or have a high BMI. Whereas in football, and we're discussing football here, the, the prevalence of, of sleep, sleep issues requiring sleep diagnostic treatment is actually not very high. Um, for the last five years, I always, when I, when I engage and I work with with, uh, with football players, I usually do an initial screening on them. And I always look for markers in relation to sleep apnea, as an example, um, restless leg syndrome and so forth. And I don't meet it very often. What I very often meet would be insomnia-related issues. Athletes that simply can't fall asleep due to high pressure, due to congested scheduling, travel demands and so forth, which are all in theory, markers that can be turned around by applying different mythology, by applying sleep hygiene factors, but not diagnostic treatment. So it's a really good time to, for me to ask you about the scenario that you started working with a new team. You're told at least a few individuals, for example, are known to struggle with their sleep. So what would you do in this situation? To be fair, I'm, I'm actually quite data-driven, right? I see myself as a person founded in science, and then I know that I'm very pragmatic when I have to work with, with sleep in a daily setting. 
So what I always do is that I conduct the screening and my screening mythology is basically a screening tool that I've used the past five, six years to develop um, for my company Sleep to Perform. So if you look into to the scientific world, you will find a lot of validated questionnaires that you can use to screen people for sleeping disorders. You can have questionnaires which have been validated for the normal population. And in the past years, a few questionnaires also came out and has been validated on, on, on the athletic environment. Um, what I do is that I've actually merged quite a lot of these questionnaires into one because I regard a football player as a person, as a human being, and not just someone who is delivering his performance in an athletic setting, right? They leave the training ground, they go home, they might have things in their private lives that would be obstructive to sleep as well. So what I do is that I always use the same screening tool and I don't do work with anyone, whether it's a football player or any other athletes, without conducting the screening. Once I've conducted the screening, I profile the player in a quite simple traffic light, yellow, green, or red layer, dependent on the challenges that I will find in the, in the screening. And then from that point on, it's, it's pretty different depending on environment and who I'm working with. I work both with individual clients, which could be individual players from a variety of clubs, um, but I also work on a club level. And usually when I then conduct the screening, based on the data that I get out of that screening, I do some educational workshops back to the players, which will be then created content-wise purely on their data because environments and teams can be very different. So let's say that I'm working with a very young team the sleep challenges might be A. If I'm working with a team where the squad is composed by older players, it's not only sleep deprivation caused by the player himself, but it might be related to small children and so forth. So the education that I try to embed always regards who I'm talking to. And then based on, on input from the club and so forth, I, I tend to work as well with the players on an individual basis. Usually I say I don't work with players less than four months at a time because my aim when I am working with the player is not only to create results, but to create sustainable results. So that the weight and the mythology that I am applying is not just going to convert some negative sleep history and sleep data into something positive, but that we are creating patterns that will stay with the player over time as well. And usually when you work with players for a minimum of four months, you also see the fluctuation of a season. Yeah. So when you talk about the fluctuation of the season, I suppose going back to what you're talking about, some of the factors that affect sleep. So would you talk about, uh, or are you referring to, you know, fixture congestion, international breaks and how that can affect like the jet lag and so on? Yes, exactly. I mean, compare this season to last season and then compare last season to the previous season, right? It's been very different seasons. Mm -hmm. So last year we had a pandemic situation, a lot of unpredictability, congested scheduling, then they didn't play, then some, all of a sudden they had to play a lot more games than they were used to. This season is still affected by the pandemic as well, to a degree. We don't know if people will be isolated and so forth. And I always try to embed these unpredictable factors into my mythology. Mm, okay. Just continuing on with that scenario. So let's say that you've got an individual or a few individuals and they're 
they, you know, they've taken on board everything you've said about sleep hygiene techniques and all this sort of stuff. They're really trying, but they're still struggling with their sleep. They might even be starting to consider, you know, whether they want to even try sleep medication. So what would you do at this stage? Um, to be fair, I'm, I'm always preaching against sleep medication, but I think it's important to, before we just like group sleep medication as one to discuss, just discuss what type of sleep medication you're talking about. Because if you're talking melatonin, it's one thing. If you're talking like heavy sleep, sleeping drops, it's addictive, right? So, and again, it also relates very much, much back to the situation. I always work against any type of external pharmaceutical support unless everything else has been completely excluded, if that makes sense. You've tried basically everything. I don't very often encounter the situation where we have to end up using sleeping medication. I very often try the opposite, that I get to work with players because they have been due to their poor sleeping um, status using sleeping medication for quite some time. And we kind of try to revert that um, negative pattern. So I just wanted to ask a follow-up question on what you were saying about educating athletes. I was just wondering what ways have you found to be effective to educate the athletes, for example, uh, you know, a a group chat in a room with a presentation or is it one-to-one meetings? How does it work? I I don't have a standardized way of doing it. And I think, again, it comes very much down to the environment. What, What I think is always important to keep in the back of your mind is that sleep is a pretty vulnerable subject. And there are a lot of reasons to why individuals are unable to sleep. Sometimes it's very much related to group dynamics at the club. Let's say you have a very top-down run environment with a lot of pressure and so forth. If you want the player to acknowledge and to see where the sleep challenges might come from, and then you're in a room where the head coach is actually also in the room when you're giving that educational workshop, he might not come out of the bush and tell exactly why he's unable to sleep. So what I, what I prefer often to do is actually to, to keep the workshops very player related, of course, onboard the staffing members and so forth, but, but create this trustworthy environment where you can actually allow players to speak up, tell them why they're compromising their sleep. But before that, you kind of need to give them some ammunition to why they should even invest in the area. Like sleep, isn't it just something that we do? It's not right. It has a lot of impact on you, on you, on an athlete. Um, And they kind of need to understand and onboard these factors so that they learn to invest in sleep just as much as they would invest in any other performance parameter. Um, So one thing is like educating them to how to change it, but they need to understand why as well. Um, Look, if you tell any player that there's a quite high link between injury risk and poor sleep, they will start to, you know, to buy into it. If you tell players, especially male players, that there's a very high link between um, poor sleep and an underproduction of testosterone, and they understand that testosterone is pretty important, both in male sexual behavior, but also in their ability to rebuild their muscles, suddenly it becomes this ammunition point where they actually want to onboard it because they see it as a part of their performance optimization pattern rather than something that they need to fix. Once they learn that that sleep is a weapon, 
rather than something that they just do and that it can give them the margins that they're all looking for and maybe the competitive advantage. Um, you, you give them a reason to why they should invest in it. Mm. Yeah, so I, that's really interesting. I think it's a really key takeaway that essentially to to get the players on board, if you can convince them it can enhance their playing ability and how much they can play and reduce the injury risk, um, then they're going to be sold into it and then they're more likely to get on board. Another question I have is, can nutrition impact sleep? It's a little bit of a business area to discuss, right? Because there are a lot of opinions. My view on that question is that I trust that a balanced nutrition um, overall will lead to a higher sleep output. Um, and I think it's quite misunderstood that you can eat certain nutrients just before you go to bed if the rest of your nutrition is poor, right? We know that, and there is always a dilemma because we know that players usually would load carbohydrates on match day minus one. Carbohydrates might not be the best thing to eat just before you go to bed, but from a loading perspective, it's needed. So you need to address nutrition pretty pr pragmatically when it comes to sleep. But that being said, you also need to address sleep pretty pragmatically so that it fits into an athletic setting. Because sleep science says one, reality says something different. And when it comes to nutrition, it's a little bit the same. And quite often a discussion about the hen and the egg, right? There, there will be things, protein-enriched nutrition before going to bed has, has a proven impact on the sleep quality output. But if, again, a player needs to load carbohydrates prior to a match, maybe it's better that he loads the, the, the carbohydrates on that match day minus one to get that output on the performance scale. And then we would do nutritional-wise something else on other days. So you've talked about some of the actual nutrients, so macronutrients that might be good to have or not so good to have sleep. What about timing of eating? Is there a certain period of time before bed, like, you know, the time window when they should not be eating? Um, look, a heavy meal before going to bed doesn't do a footballer or anyone else any good because you're basically putting on gas on a fire that you want to turn off, right? You don't want to push your metabolism just before you go to bed. So that's kind of like rule number one. Um, I think what I encounter a lot more as being a problem is actually not nutrition as an isolated thing, but the inability to hydrate yourself well enough during the day or sufficiently during the day. So a lot of players would have a tendency to, to neglect hydration during the day, but they all know that it is important. So it quite often leads to a player drinking a lot of fluids late afternoon, evening, which again then leads to a lot of visits to the toilet during the night because they're overhydrated. And if you go into sleep physiology, you being poor at hydrating yourself leads to a poor sleep quality because you will have more awakenings, which then puts you on the injury risk zone ultimately because you've had unnecessary awakenings during the night breaking your own sleep cycle. So nutrition should not be isolated from hydration. And we're not dealing with 65-year-old men with um, a reason to go to the toilet many times during the night, right? They don't have enlarged prostata or anything like that. They're healthy, young athletes. So it's normal to 
visit the toilet, but it's not normal to visit the toilet four or five times a night because you're overhydrating in, in the afternoon, evening. I suppose with most things, getting a balance right is key because, of course, just focusing on hydration. If you drink too little, that affects your sleep. If you drink too much, that also affects your sleep. But usually I always say that a good night's sleep starts when you wake up in the morning, right? So you need to expose yourself to sunlight in the morning because that allows your inner clock to balance itself, making it actually easier for your system to create and deploy the right hormones when you actually have to go to bed. So there are certain factors that would be good if a player just gets to stick on his spine. I always ask players, like, do you brush your teeth in the evening? They're like, that's a strange question. And then I ask them, but do you do it? And usually they always say yes, um, which is lucky for me. Um, And then I ask them, do you think a lot about why you're brushing your teeth and how you're doing it? Or do you just do it? And they all reply back more or less that they just do it. When it comes to sleep hygiene, sleep hygiene is not just what you do before you go to to bed, but it's things that you learn yourself to do throughout the day, which ultimately will sit on your spine. So you just do it as a pattern, as a habit, which ultimately leads to good sleep. Because the thing is also, if you give sleep and sleep hygiene too much attention, it can also have an opposite effect, right? They want to optimize everything around how they go to bed, so it becomes a stress factor, which makes it more difficult to fall asleep, which can also lead to awakenings during the night. Yeah. So it needs to be balanced. What would you say are sort of the top sleep hygiene techniques that you find really effective, especially in elite footballers? I think I'm always against creating this standardized list of five bullet points about what would help you fall asleep. And I always say to people, you know, Google, because Google mm. will tell you, will tell you at least uh, the five um, mostly used hits um, around the world when it comes to sleep. By my experience, uh, one of the things that a lot of footballers find difficult is to, to shut down their brain, right? They have a racing mind just before they have to go to bed. And you can use various techniques to, to lower the activity of your mind uh, before going to bed. Um, We know for a fact that just by writing things down on a piece of paper, research has shown that you can reduce sleep latency, meaning how long it takes for you to fall asleep with around 50%. What I like to do is not just having people do a a brainstorm, but actually write down what's on their mind, why it's bothering them, what they plan to do about it, and when they plan to do something about it, because then it becomes active and you clean your brain and you put it away just before you go to bed. And then people would expect that it works the first time you do it, and it doesn't. But cleaning your brain, making sure that you have downtime before you go to bed is massively important because a lot of them are just running on a very, very high energy level all the time, being exposed to a lot of things all the time. But that arousal level benefits from being taken down, not just before you go to bed, but actually also during the day a couple of times where you actually allow your pulse level and your blood pressure to to kind of drop down. So in combination, making sure that you have um, sequences during the day where you're relaxed and also before you go to bed. Another pointer would be making sure that the room is cold and aired. And it sounds like a no-brainer. And now we're recording this on on a video and can see you nodding because it's a no-brainer for all of us but a lot of people they forget to do it 
And one thing that works quite well with athletes as well is that they take a warm shower before they go to bed because it forces the cold temperature to drop down because you force the body to start sweating. Quite a lot of players would do the opposite. They would take a cold shower because they're warm, which actually has the opposite effect because it, it arouses them. It puts the level up, their pulse level up. And when we have to go to sleep, the pulse needs to drop down. So a warm shower before going to bed is a massive influence as well. And then again, making sure that the room temperature is low because they sweat a lot during the night. That's, that's two main factors. Um, making sure hydration is balanced is a major factor as well. Um, and making sure that if you are sound sensitive, if you're light sensitive, that you do something about it. Not just recognize the fact that you find it annoying that, annoying that you can hear noises and that it wakes you up, but actively then do something about it. And it's super simple quite often to make sure that there's no light coming into your room and that you're not disturbed by noise. Because all of that has nothing to do with you having a sleeping disorder, it's external factors, but it can actually lead to quite poor sleep quality then minimizing your performance ability. Yeah, yeah, thank you for, you know, outlining those. So just in this world of, you know, smart tech, a lot of us that are into sports have, of course, trackers, fitness trackers, a lot of them measure sleep. Are you an advocate personally of sleep trackers? And if so, are there any that you recommend or personally use? I think I've tested um, not everything on the market, but I'm, I am definitely a fan of being able to track objective data. I am at the same time an advocate of using common sense um, in, in the sense of understanding that the adaptation to technology is very different and also have a mythology which is based on technology being um, a support but not a solution. So for some players, it in all honesty can lead to worse sleep once they start to track themselves because sleep becomes a stress factor. And let's say you're very detail oriented, you want to optimize everything and all of a sudden you just see negative sleep data. Then you having access to that type of data is actually um, imposing more stress on you than it's actually helping you to optimize the sleeping side. So I don't think that there's a standardized one-size-fits-all answer to that. There are a lot of good technology out there. There's also a lot of crap technology out there. And I think it's super important that you, in that aspect, use your common sense as well in terms of analyzing yourself with that common sense, saying you wake up and you felt like you're sleeping great and you try that for a couple of days and the tracker is showing you very poor data then I would stick to my gut feeling rather than the data. And if you, if you look at the evidence and the testing on quite a lot of the trackers, they're severely either underestimating or overestimating the sleep output. Um, I always say that if you continue to use the same tracker, at least you'll be your own baseline um, and you will have the same deficit of the data continuously. Um, do I use trackers? Yes, I do. Do I implement them with a cautious mind in relation to what player I'm working with? Yes, I definitely do. 
I recently did a project. Um, I can't tell you who I did it with, but let's just call them a very big team. And they were all offered um, to use sleep tracking technology, um, kind of state of the art version of what's on the market. And I was onboarded into the project after a couple of months. And when I came into that project, 70% of the players were actually not using the technology. It was just laying in a drawer somewhere because they didn't like to see the data. And one thing was just seeing the data, but then I think that the deal breaker in that case, and in many cases would be, you see the data, but you don't know how to change it. So if you don't have the tools in hand to, to actually change the negative data that you see, either they take it off um, or it alludes to even further sleeping problems. That's great. My last question is, you know, obviously you've worked with some very high profile clubs, but let's say a club really wants to help their footballers with their sleep, but they lack the money and the resources to get a specialist such as yourself on board. What are some of the basic things they can put in place? I think step number one would be to make sleep a part of the performance enhancement strategy, like acknowledge that sleep is a deal breaker. Um, it needs to be a, a bit of the mindset of the club um, and people, both staff and players needs to be educated to get the ammunition to understand like, why should we invest in sleep? What's the benefits? And maybe also in bullet points, some of the basic things that you can do in order, but education is key. Um, and then secondly, I would use some, some power as well to understand um, both environmental, but also individual sleep challenges. And there are some pretty good questionnaires available that you can use. They will not give you the full detail, but it might allow you to have some insights to your environmental challenges. Um, and understand as well that if you want to create some changes, do not try to apply this one size fits all model because players adapt very, very differently to sleep hygiene mythology, as an example. So, so make sure that you understand your team and make sure that you have an idea about where the, the sleep compromisation is coming from. Is it scheduling? Is it pressure? Is it in rather than just concluding that we have sleeping challenges? Anna, I'm going to draw that to a close. That was really fascinating. I picked up lots of insights. I'm sure listeners have too. So thank you so much for joining us today. Listeners, if you enjoyed today, please subscribe to the FMPA podcast on Spotify or SoundCloud. Alternatively, you can check out the podcast section of the FMPA website. Thank you for listening to the Football Medicine and Performance podcast. Have a great day.